0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: The Squareball Podcast. Welcome to the show. Powered, powered by West Yorkshire Electrical. Uh, If it's got wires in it, we'll work with it, won't we, Michael? It will, yeah. And
2: they'll work well with it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It'll be good work. Very good work. uh, Certified and all that sort of stuff, yeah. Better than my work. Mm. (laughs) You've seen my work, my electrical work. EV chargers,
1: uh, especially some renewable EV chargers, um, battery storage, solar panels, school contracting, LEDs, the full shebang. Commercial work, residential work. You can get finance on both. Any more
2: details we need to add? No, I don't think so. Fire yeah. Alarms. Did you mention Fire Alarms? Oh, fire Alarms. Did you mention CCTV? I love both of those things, me. My, All my, things you can my have. My favourites.
1: wyelectrical.co.uk for details. Find them on socials as well. Down here with Michael, with Phil Hay. Hello, Phil Hay. Hello. Leeds beat Swansea. What do you make of it? Come on, let's, let's debrief that and we'll preview um, Middlesbrough in the second half. It was cold is not it? Uh, give, us the, of, give us the view from the press box. Yeah,
3: well, uh, one member of Her Majesty's BBC had a um, personal electric heater with them last night. That's how uh, how cold it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Rotherham was the first one of the season, but actually Swansea was a different level last that's, night. That's it was B- chilly.
1: Sorry, that's, that's BBC gravy chilly. train all over. It is, it? Yeah.
3: it is. Wouldn't be right to name Johnny Buchan, but no. it was he. Sure. Um, yeah. Thank you for not naming Johnny Buchan. Yeah, um, but sensible when you think about it, given yeah. the, the circumstances. Good win, all in all, I thought. I grind through the first half, but I think Two things that were pretty crucial last night. The first was just the difference in individual quality between Leeds and Swansea. Michael Duff, their manager, touched on it afterwards, which meant that Leeds were able to get out of a pretty flat and ordinary first half with a 2-1 lead, which I'm not totally sure they they deserved. But also after halftime, I I just thought the press from Leeds was far better um, against Swansea. Farker did reference that in the press conference afterwards about how he tried to address it at halftime because it wasn't working particularly well um, in the first half. The system that they had was... Different to what we're used to in as much as it's not that Ampadu and Kamara or whoever else plays alongside Ampadu sit as a strict two next to each other. Uh, You do tend to find that Ampadu is the deeper of the two and and whoever else is alongside him. In this case last night, Kamara tends to push further forward. But the gap was really pronounced and it was helping Swansea in the first half because Leeds weren't pressing as well as they could have done. But once they did after half time, they kept Swansea pretty quiet. I thought Swansea were quite decent last night, actually. I thought they were better than quite a few sides who've, who've come to Elland Road. But there was, again, just difference in difference in class, difference in ability. With Pirro for that finish, Ruter especially um, for that touch and, and that goal. That was what made the difference in the first half. And in the second half, it really was just
1: a bit of a steamroller effect. One of the things, actually, I noticed that I didn't mention on the match ball, but occurred to me when I was in the stadium, was that when you get teams like Swansea who try to play a little bit more and try to be more expansive, they do leave themselves open to Leeds United's pretty formidable attacking power at this level, don't think you saw it in that mad first couple of minutes where we could have been one up and then suddenly found ourselves one down. And then thankfully we were level just a couple of minutes later. But um, yeah, they do, don't they? Like by, by being more expansive, by trying to make the pitch a bit bigger, leave bigger gaps for Leeds to play in. Well, you remember that we were discussing this after the Plymouth game the, the balance
3: of what you're supposed to do against Leeds, do you, particularly Ellen Road, do you come and do you sit in knowing that on the evidence so far there's quite a high likelihood that they will play through you? Or do you go at them and try and play them at their own game as, as ones you tried to more than the, certain other teams have and risk, like you say, getting opened up by that front four, which has loads of pace and loads of loads of class, loads of loads of ability. I don't know how you find the sweet spot on that. And Michael Duff said afterwards, if we'd come here and just sat in with a, a four five one. And, and done nothing then we'd have lost the game Now they lost the game anyway but I guess from his point of view he was thinking if we fight fire with fire maybe we maybe it works out for us maybe we get something from it I was writing last night about Dan James who does seem to have found himself to a certain degree and, and we finally sort of got away from this feeling that him and Leeds don't really mix you know that the whole thing was just ill-fated right from the start of that that loan from Swansea that that never was one of the things that Fark has done with this team even though he's a sort of possession-based coach and likes to, to dominate the ball he has set leads up in a way that does what to the strength of them having a lot of pace in the team, Somerville and, and James in particular. And I think if you're going to make anything of James, you need to be playing in a way that creates turnover ball, like that crunching challenge from Byron before James' goal, that gives him space to go into and, and lets him attack what are definitely inferior teams and inferior defences compared to to the Premier League. Um, and he's one of the players who fucking inherited, who who they really have made quite a lot of in comparison to what what James was doing before and and his influence before if you go through all the games at Ellen Road so far I don't know what you would say is the kind of ideal model for playing against Leeds how do you find the sweet spot of not committing too much but not committing too little and actually is there a sweet spot because it looks as if Leeds can cope with teams however they try to
1: play against them one of the nice things from our perspective is that that is a nice problem to have rather than something we have to deal with
2: catches on an off day seems to be, yeah. and, and also without a full-strength team is when we seem to have mainly slipped up.
3: Yeah, I, we were chatting about this in the press room afterwards. I think it's become more and more apparent, isn't it, what Fark is best 11 is or what he thinks his best 11 is. And it was pretty close last night. I would suspect that you could probably weigh up the combination in midfield. Do you go Kamara Ampadu? Do you go Ampedu gray Kamara-Grey, which we haven't really, really seen. And then at right-back, are you going grey or are you going... Spence. I mean, we're obviously going to talk about Luke Ayling, but again, you know, changing the guard going on in that position, and Spence back on the bench last night. So there's a little bit of choice there, and there are, I think, combinations, odd combinations, odd permutations, which could change the team and perhaps improve the team. But that lineup last night with Byron back in it and Strike, okay, Strike had the error in the early part of the game. I was kind of saying on Twitter, it was it was proper last night, like a firework that had been lit when it wasn't stuck in the ground. It was just going everywhere. You know, the the disallowed goal. <laughs> Swansea scoring, Pirro equalising. It was total mayhem until it it settled down after about 10 minutes. But, you know, strike back on the left side of defence, I think that's the 11, give or take, that Farker feels most comfortable with. I think it's the 11 we'll see most often when everybody's fit. And at the moment, most people seem to be. And I think it's the 11 who'll do best for Leeds.
1: It has reminded me of um, one bonfire night when we went round to my old boss's house and he had like a relatively small backyard, back garden. Um, and there was, you know, being sensible with the fireworks, put a rocket in the the bucket of sand to shoot up, lit it and retreated to a safe distance, except for whatever reason, it shot out sideways and everybody it flew back towards the house and everybody kind of panicked. And in the panic that ensued, I almost basically barged, barged into my wife. She was holding a glass of wine. So I knocked the glass of wine which then splashed in her face and temporarily blinded her so she couldn't did escape. You, did
3: you leave her to get hit by a full, full
1: save yourself? Yeah. <laughs> I dragged yes. her in front yes. of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly that, yeah. I, I temporarily blinded her with wine in order to make my own escape and she was left at the mercy of the Rocket thankfully there were no injuries
3: well that is better than being blinded by a firework 100% well, ab- yeah, absolutely, um, but yeah. I still don't think that's necessarily much um, mitigation for you I always remember somebody writing about the Ashes and I can't remember who was bowling but it might have been Mitchell Johnson and them saying that his bowling was so erratic and so bad it was like dropping a garden hose when it was spraying and it was you know that's what the game was like last night just bouncing around and 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 chaos, even Varker said afterwards, you know, it, it was totally ridiculous. Did you describe it as
1: complicated, was that the word that he
2: used? It ridiculous, ridiculous was the word it. he used, and, right. and
3: it, it kind of kinda of was. And then it settled down into the sort of game that you wanted and then it developed into the slog that you didn't. But again, it was very Route One router's goal, but it was still a well timed ball from Ampadu, just a little bit of he did a really poor half, I thought, but you know, or a poor half by his standards. But just, you know, a bit of quality in that ball. Ruta's run was great. His touch was unbelievable. It was Paul, like well,
1: Paul Merson likened it to being Bergkamp-esque. He
3: liked it. Well, it was like ball landing on a pillow, wasn't it? It's like yeah. what Jack Harrison used to do all the time. Just kind of pick these out the the sky, and a little bit like what Swansea's keeper did with that horrific back pass to him in in the first half. And Farco, which the
1: actually touchline. that by the way got a little ripple of applause, it, it, didn't it? Like it did. Leeds, yeah, kind of like, an fair play. Yeah.
3: So it should have done. It was a bit like Farco on the touchline against Watford, wasn't it? A beautiful, beautiful takedown. But I think. I was chatting to our desk about this as we were thinking about what to write and we were saying that this this is going to be a grind through December because a lot of games and, and it's your performance is ebb and flow. It's very difficult to play well all the time but you are seeing that Leeds have that just that ability level in individual players like Rooter and, and others and Pirro when he finishes like that that is probably from time to time going to get them through fixtures where they don't play as, as well as they can. But having said that, I do think that tactically there was an impact in the second half. The press was much better. Swansea were constrained in a way that they hadn't been um, before the interval. And I think D- that's... Did you
1: notice, Phil, how they tweaked the press at half time? Could you tell? Because it looked like we were, we were trying to press them quite high in the first half and they were beating it quite easily. Yeah. So was it a case of standing off them a little bit in the second it, half? It seemed to me that there was a bit of that. I also thought that the balance in midfield, the position in midfield was
3: better and made it less easy for Swansea. I think what Swansea were finding in the first half was every time they were coming up with the ball, and particularly in turnover situations, there was space around about the centre circle because you had Ampadu quite deep. You had Kamara, who was really, really advanced, almost in a two with Pirro rather than a two with Ampadu. And it meant that that was where Swansea were able to set themselves. It didn't mean that they had a huge huge number of chances. I did think Leeds should have had a penalty in the first half for that, that handball, but it's neither here nor there given the result. But I think what it meant was that, unlike other teams who've come to Ellen Road, Swansea were able to sort of pose a, a lingering threat. and And I thought, I thought they were okay, Swansea. I thought they were quite a good side. And I did feel that by the end of it, that was a it was a good win for Leeds.
1: Yeah, they're sitting in 18th after the uh, the midweek round of results. And as we said, heading into this, it felt like looking at the other fixtures that were played on Wednesday night, that this was one that Leeds probably had to win. Because you knew that the teams around them were likely to win based on... Like Leicester. What came out of that? Well, they should have done. Well, actually, do you know what? People watching, like I didn't see the EFL highlights. It was on too late for me last night but said that Sheffield Wednesday seemed to make all the running in that one and were very unlucky not to beat Leicester.
3: Well, following it on Twitter, which is the only way you can do it um, when you're you're at a game yourself, um, we had Rob Tanner there for The Athletic and following his tweets, it was quite apparent that Leicester were kind of crawling towards the finishing line with that one. So poor result for them, but I suppose the equivalent of what Leeds had at home to to Sheffield Wednesday as well. But the fact is, I mean, Farker was talking last week when we were pressing him about, you know, the kind of scoreboard pressure and psychology of results. He said, by his estimation, twenty wins for the playoffs, twenty six for automatic promotion. Which tells you that if you are going to go up automatically, it's not just having to win this game and that game. You need to win a lot. You know, you need mm. to be winning most weeks. Um and they have been doing that. You know, I think I think for all the disappointment of Rotherham, he was able to point to the bigger picture of how the form looked generally, and it's it's good. It's good. They're very, very consistent team leads.
2: The yeah. switch and Leicester results have started to if not turn, I know, but they're losing points, some points now, aren't they? Whereas at the start of the season, they were both on track for 130 points each or something. You're like, well, this this can't. stake's it's not it's, it's not sustainable. <laughs> not, like, they, they can't keep doing this. It yeah. will it will not happen. Like the points record is about 105, isn't it, or something? We'll so reading like, reading tweet it out every year when everybody yeah, can't get six points, is yeah. not mm-hmm. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they obviously weren't going to do it, but you do get kind of ten games in, and you're thinking. God's sake, drop some points. Yeah, grow up. Give the rest of us a chance here. (laughs) But they've started to
1: lose some points now. Gap gap is eight to Leicester on top and seven to Ipswich. And there's obviously the juicy prospect uh, in the month of December of uh, Ipswich facing Leicester and Leeds in successive fixtures, isn't there?
3: Indeed. But that for another day, really. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. But um, it is just if we can just keep chipping away at that gap, chip away at it, chip away at it, hopefully when the weather turns nice again, we're properly in touch and... It'd be lovely. I think psychologically, it would be huge if we could get a foot into the top two. Even if we don't stay there consistently, but just getting into that top two, I think, would show the fans and probably the players as well that we've got it within our gift to um, to do this this season.
3: When the weather turns again, I can relate to bucking bringing that electric heater because once you get to this time of year, November, December, you know that this is it sitting until March, really. You're going to freeze at every single game. Yeah, until and, then. and there's, no, inter- in. there's
1: no. this is the thing about the long winter, isn't it? There's no international break now to no. kind of break it up. You've got Christmas, but actually the fixtures have become thick and fast at that time, don't they? But your poor life as a as I know, a journalist. I know, isn't it hard? Getting to go to yeah. all the games for free yeah. and uh, getting your expenses paid for travel. Absolutely, and, absolutely. And, and, and having there. to put up with... Minor, free food, with, with, free you food, know, yeah.
3: Mi- minorly cold conditions, <laughs> yes. Oh, no, it's a bit cold here. What, what am I going
1: to do? <laughs> Put on another one of my expensive jackets. That's <laughs> no,
3: be. that's Poppy at the BBC yeah. with his Berg houses. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's shaping up all right, isn't it? As we hit, hit the winter months. I, I certainly feel better about how the table looks now than I did, let's say, a month or two back. The, it,
3: there are other things going on as well. There. I mean, he, he, we're talking about injuries um, before the game with Farker. He touched on it, you know, players coming back and everything else. And it did kind of occur to me that we were talking about, with the exception of Stuart Dallas and almost exclusively fit squad which the last time anybody said that at Leeds must have been about a hundred years ago certainly certainly feels like it would have been pre-Bielsa and it wasn't as if they were minus injuries before him either and I mean that was something that when Bielsa left and Marsh came in the club were talking about actively trying to address and improve and it didn't feel like it really happened on Marsh's watch or subsequent to him either but my impression was and, and Farker did agree with this that they, they've done okay this season. They, they haven't been massively handicapped by them. It's not as if they haven't been missing players from time to time, but he said it's quite unusual to be going into December with so many players fit and so many players available. And that does make a difference. You know, it does strengthen your hand. It does give you options and, and alternatives. It means that when you look at the bench, there is no ailing, there is no Creswell, there is no Gellhart because it is hard to get onto the bench. And to go back to January, which we spoke about, uh, I think last week, when it comes to, Idea of signing players and on you know, prior to this game, wasn't given the impression that they were going to do a huge amount in January. You do have to ask, well, how do you sign players who are actually going to get in the mix with this unless you do get injuries? And obviously, you have to mitigate for that, but you don't want to end up with Thorpe Arch and surplus footballers kicking about who can't get a game.
1: You mentioned Luke Ayling there, Phil. Probably worth having a, a word about him because he was picked out in that way that Farka's done a couple of times now. He mentioned it uh, with Creswell earlier in the season when Creswell didn't get in the squad and he was waxing lyrical about Luke Ayling on Wednesday, about his role and the fact that he's offering loads of support to Archie Gray, to Jed Spence as well, who were both ahead of him in the pecking order for his position.
3: I, I think it's different with Ailing to Creswell though. There, there are kind of two things going on here. One is that Farker is doing the right thing in a competitive sense and in a professional sense. And if we take sentiment out of it, I think from what we've seen so far, I'm not sure any of us would say that Ailing has necessarily looked like the answer at right back this season. He has looked exposed. There are fresher and younger options in the squad at right back. And I think it's right that, that Leeds are looking to use them. I think if, truth be told as well, it's felt for a little while now as if Farker has been looking, even in the absence of Jed Spence, has been looking for alternatives to Ayling. You know, he's been finding alternatives to Ayling, whether it's Archie Gray or Jamie Shackleton there. And Ailing is in that position now where he's coming, you know, towards the end of his contract. He's he's into his 30s. He was once right back of choice without fail, is no longer. And this kind of comes to everybody in the end. But the other thing that, that you're seeing, and I think this was very apparent in Farker's comments last night, is a reluctance on Farker's part to handle this and manage it in a way that either ostracises Ailing or humiliates him. I mean, Farker will know what this means and it is... It's a player who's reaching the end of the th- this chapter in their career. And it is important to to handle that properly. And I think it's particularly important with somebody like Ailing, who is well respected at the club, has done really good things for the club. I mean, at a cost of two hundred thousand pounds, he doesn't owe Leeds much, if anything, at all. I don't think Leeds owe him anything at all. He's had the best years of his career here, but what they do owe him is that kind of dignified end to it, you know, and end that appreciates how and, and you know treatment that appreciates how how much he's he's contributed. I don't imagine my opinion matters to him in the slightest, but I have to say that in, in all the time that I've covered Leeds, I don't think there are many players who've who who i have respected more than Ailing. I think he's been very much a, a captaincy figure at Leeds. And I think he's always he's always had this this ethos of of wanting to better himself and to better the club. Um, I think he's appreciated the opportunity to go as far as he has. And I always got the impression as well that it genuinely mattered to him. I can think of quite a few instances with him. One that jumps out is not so much the the interview after the Forest game under Bielsa, which we've spoken about before, but the fact that around about that time, and, and bearing in mind as well that Ailing has a stammer, you know, which he's, he's spoken about, it's not necessarily easy for him to, to interview in the way that other players do. But around that time, Leeds were feeling a lot of heat the results were suddenly not great and there's a bit of pressure coming on. And he said to the media department, any time there's media what to be done any time we need to speak to the press any time a player needs to be put up come to me and I'll do it I'll answer the difficult questions I'll speak to people I'll, I'll talk for us to save other people in the dressing room having to do it and I think I think you've always got that from him he's quite strikes me as quite traditional in the way that, that he is as a de facto captain obviously Cooper has been club captain but, but Ailing has been deputy for, for quite a while but also I think if the, you remember that mad game against Barnsley that got leads to the threshold of promotion a totally weird afternoon because it was like there were times under Beelsa where tactically it didn't work or players didn't look good enough and they were beaten or they were beaten heavily but there were virtually no occasions where the players didn't look like they knew what they were doing and that game against Barnsley was like somebody had removed Beelsa's microchip because the whole thing was just a mess and no one seemed to know what the plan was well, That it, was the embodiment of fear. was that? It, it 100% was and bear in mind as well that Leeds were entitled 10 times over to have one of those days you know right at the finishing line where everybody was just desperate to get there and, and to get it done none of the players were really in the habit of chirping at Bielsa they would never get at him on the sideline they would never complain they would never you know argue the toss with him they all got on with it it was a really really good level of authority and respect there but I remember watching Ailin at towards the end of that first half and him constantly saying to the dugout what are we supposed to be doing here you know what is the plan this is a mess this is, this is a joke and when he went off at halftime, he genuinely looked like he was about to punch somebody because it was all going wrong. And rather than this attitude of, you know, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? If we get over the line and it's, you know, we don't play well, who really cares? I think there was this body language of, we're better than this and this needs to be better than it is at the moment. And I think that's, I think that was there as well, that goal he scored against West Brom. You know, that was a, that was a bad week for Leeds. That You had Nonto trying to get his, himself out. You had other players who were shaping to go didn't look like they were in good shape. He scored, and you could see again in his body language that attitude of I am still here and I I want to be here. He's been an outstanding player. It shows, it so
1: shows leadership, doesn't it? That yeah, it as does. well. Like the, the desire to better the club. And and as soon as you said that, I scribbled down a little note on my pad just saying you can't say the same for some of the other players who've been around Ellen Road recently, where particularly with the number that were ready to jump ship. And I understand why from a you know professional point of view. They want to stay in the Premier League, they want to play in the Champions League, they want to be in Europe, whatever it might be, don't care. I'm a Leeds fan. I'm not a fan of those individual players. I'm a fan of my club. So I understand it. But equally to see people on the other side of this saying, no, I want I want to drag us back up by the bootstraps. It's important that this club is higher than we've allowed it to fall to.
2: You don't see any circumstances where Ailing leaves in January, do you? I did ask that last night. I said to Farker, you know, if if there's a
3: scenario where he's not only not getting the game, but he's not getting on the bench. Is it feasible or viable to keep him to the end of his contract? The fact he didn't really answer that in the sense that he didn't commit yes or no. You know, he he, he sort of fudged it slightly. And I, again, I can understand why. Ailing is a really good character who I think will do his best to stick with this. But you know how it is with players. I mean, I, I've written about this for tomorrow, actually. And I was referencing what went on with David Prutton when he came to the end of the line at Leeds. And the story that Prutton always tells is that he was no longer in the team. He was no longer in the matchday squad. And one for one game at Ellen Road, he was asked, he, you remember um, the Jesus haircut that he used to have? Well, he'd, he'd had his haircut, it was much shorter. So he was asked if he wanted to go on at halftime onto the pitch to have a chat about his new haircut. <laughs> and Prutton's attitude, he'd, he'd sort of declined with thanks. I say with thanks, I mean, he's got away with words, Prutton. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think not, no, not ones that he uses when he's presenting on Sky Sports. Doesn't maybe. tend to be no, yeah. but the answer would have been a, a forthright no. What the penny sort of dropped with him, and he thought to himself, "I'm basically a cheerleader here." I was going like to say, if, you, "If
1: you're the halftime entertainment, I'm like a yeah. court
3: jester," and yeah. he said that it was done with the best of intentions. It wasn't like anybody was trying to humiliate him, but he realised he had to go. So, so he did. And one of his frustrations, I've spoken to him about this in the past, was that. Whenever he went to see Simon Grayson to say, he was manager at the time, to say, why am I not on the team? Why can't I get a game? Where do you see my position? Grayson wouldn't kind of give him the clear answer of, listen, Dave, there are better players here. There are players who are more effective or suit my style more. I'm not saying I'll never use you, but you know, you're, you're on the fringes. And I think at that point, Proton would rather that Grayson had just given it to him straight. I get the impression that Farker probably has done that with Ailing. And I think as much as Farker was joking last night about, you know, Ailing probably wanting to kill me on the basis that he wasn't in the squad last night, I think Ailing will appreciate the fact that it is kind of clear, you know, what's going on and, and what's happening. But it does have to be handled quite sensitively. And I think I think Farker did that last night with what he, he was saying. When he said, you know, he's he's one of the best players I've or the best player I've ever worked with in terms of, of character. Whether or not that's strictly true, it's the right noises, right noise to make. Yeah, I think, from a psych- from a, a psychological, psychological yeah. man management point yeah. of view. Yeah, because I'm not being funny about this, but you would like to think that this season there's going to come a point where Leeds have the chance of promotion again, and I mean, you know, they obviously have a chance at the moment, but a serious chance where it actually is really there for the taking, where you do need to call upon the nouse that's in your dressing room, potentially the players who who have done it before, which Ailing has, Liam Cooper has, even Stuart Dallas, who's still around the place. And it's it's valuable to have them there. But I don't think Fark will be given to sentiment and I don't think he'll risk the performance of the team on the basis of sentiment. I mean, he was part of the reason Farker why Adam Forscher didn't resign in the summer. Forscher and the club had discussed the contract on reduced terms and it wasn't that Farker didn't want him, but Farker's perspective was, I need to see him train. before, you know, I need to see how he copes with the intensity of the sessions before I commit to him, um, before I take him on. For sure, and I think quite understandably, you know, I saw it in the opposite point of view, which was I can't really risk getting injured if I don't have a contract when there are other clubs who who want to take me on. So Forshaw sure ended up going to, to Norwich City. And I think you can apply the same to Sam Byram. You know, if, if Byron had come in and he'd struggled and he hadn't been fit and he'd, he'd found it a challenge to get through the summer, I really don't think Farker would have signed him. I don't think Leeds would have tried to have taken him on. They would have gone their, their separate ways. So it's a, a challenge of management. But I think what
1: you saw last night was the was basically the right way to handle it. Yeah, and you get the sense that the same applies, I guess, for all what you might term like the legacy players, the previous promotion players, Cooper as well. No sign of an extension for him as he's coming no. up to his testimonial. So it feels like that era is perhaps by design coming to a close.
3: Yeah, well, I think at the moment, from what I can understand, Cooper doesn't know one way or the other whether um, he's going to get an, an extension. Dallas, I think, will be clever enough to realise that having been out for so long Leeds are not on a whim just going to say yeah have a, have a new deal you know there's going to be have to be some element of prove yourself there which which seems fair enough and ailing also out of contract at the end of this season you could probably say actually I mean Leeds have always been massively wedded to this group or certainly the previous regime where this was like the leadership group who kind of spoke for the dressing room and, and who would be engaged if there were discussions about as an example their the wage deduction during COVID, you know, they would speak to the the senior leadership group who would kind of speak for the other players and that's how it it would get sorted out. I think from a performance point of view, you could maybe argue that the club have perhaps tried to persist with that promotion squad longer than they should have done. Although I don't think that means that there's no value or worth in having those players. It's just a case of how much do do you rely on them? And I think in the circumstances, if you're being totally fair, there are probably other players who can play it right back, who I understand why Farker would, would lean on mm. more than Ailing at the moment. But I still think having Ailing in the background as he is will not be a bad thing. And he might come back into the team
1: at some point. There's a financial imperative there as well, isn't there? Whether we stay down or go up, they're going to be on relatively big wages because you get that adjustment for the Premier League, the renewal of the contracts at Premier League level. You drop down, still going to be fairly hefty wages, but hefty wages for players who are increasingly peripheral. Like Patrick Bamford, I guess, falls into the same category now doesn't it because it feels like he is very much on the on the margins knowing Aylin as I do
3: I, I, I don't think he'll resent the fact that Farker is doing this I think he'll I mean he may do but I, I think he'll probably understand the reasoning for it I think what will be tough and this kind of applies to athletes in every single sport professionally it's the realisation isn't it that you're not what you once were or that your standing isn't I don't mean standing as in reputation your standing as a player isn't quite what it was previously and, and that to large degree, that's never coming back because you know age Time. is what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, no, and and that's that's how how it goes. Um, so that must be quite difficult to take. But I sort of feel with Ailing that, irrespective of how much more he plays, whether his contract gets extended, whether we really see a, a big impact from him again, it doesn't matter in terms of his reputation here, does no. it? I think his reputation is absolutely solid, and he'll always, concrete. He'll always be um, welcome back as a hero. Always. And like, if you if if your Fark is saying Sam Byram is one of the best free transfers Leeds have ever had, and that probably does actually stand up to scrutiny, then I think
2: Luke Ealing is probably the best two hundred grand they've spent, give or take. The yeah. dream end trailing is fourth of May. We're already promoted. We get to bring him off the bench. Not a dry eye in the house. Yeah, he can lift the trophy. Maybe who knows? Who, oh. knows, who knows how we go up? Oh. <laughs> but I mean, Beautiful. it's definitely happening.
1: <laughs> well, you, you do, you do, get, you do get a trophy for second place, don't you? Now in the well, EFL, do you? you do, yeah, because they um, they said, well, if you win the league, you get the e- the proper the EFL, EFL Championship won, trophy. Yeah, there's a trophy for winning the playoffs at Wembley, so you get to go up the steps and get your medal and wave it at the fans. What about the second place team? That's not fair, is it? Probably Sean Harvey's idea. Fair enough. He deserves yeah. it. He deserves it no, only, a- only if Leeds were second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they'll they'll change that rule now, <laughs> Phil. We know what they're like down at EFL headquarters. But yeah, he deserves a good end, doesn't he? It yeah. does, it does. And also,
3: there's just a bit of personality there, isn't there? And I like mm-hmm. personality in football. You see it with the goals he scores, which don't go in very often, but every time they have, they've been quite special. And it, yeah, as I say,
1: it seems to matter a lot to him. And this stuff matters. I was, like, I was saying on, on the weekly show, talking about Venables and how I feel about Euro 96. And at the root of that was a, a genuine human connection and a, a feeling of connection to that you know, to that team and that that era and being 18 years old at that time. Same with Luke Hayling. There's just a real, it's provided a real connection. He's like a conduit through which I kind of personalised the whole Bielsa era. When you you know you look past Bielsa himself to his players, he's one of the, the players right at the corner, the cornerstone of that. Yeah, totally trusted by Bielsa,
3: totally trusted by the board as well. And that was the core of the dressing room that they really needed. You know, that was a big reason I think why they, why they got, got promoted. And I, I cannot abide this thing that you see on Twitter quite regularly of not good enough anymore, get rid. In a t- broad sense, that is how it is eventually with mm. every single player, but it doesn't need to be handled like that. And you remember as well that when Hernandez started to go over the hill at Leeds, his relationship with Bielsa became a bit strained, you know, which was, was I guess, one of the, the regrets of, of that era. And I think I certainly got the impression from Farka last night that he'd 100% want to avoid a scenario where he upset Ailing unfairly. By leaving him out but I think the reason he answered at length last night is because there's no getting away from the fact that if all your players are fit and available and you have a squad to pick and that's the 20
1: that you pick you're setting the picking order aren't you well with that in mind we turn our attention to Middlesbrough at the weekend and fingers crossed we are recording this ahead of the press conference there are no new injury concerns um so we're likely to see a similar sort of lineup again one would imagine and you felt like towards the back end of the the Swansea game, they were perhaps managing a few minutes for for some of the players. There, Byron being the obvious one, yeah. Um, when it came to that sub, the Sam Greenwood derby at the weekend. Although he's not My, going to feature, minus Sam Greenwood, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe he could come onto the pitch at
3: half-time. it? Is, is he had a haircut? <laughs> yeah.
1: He's got a remarkable um, hairline of Sam Greenwood, has not he? It's very he's got a very mm. straight straight fringe, but not either of um, you two. Yeah, need yeah I was yeah. going to say let's, let's not start <laughs> throwing stones I, on that fringe. Front? I think you should. Okay, I'll give it a go. <laughs> so you just show up one day with a fringe painted on. Uh, like, it would Lego. have to come from See <laughs> me, Mayo's back and you hear
3: going all the
1: way over the front. Painted yeah. on Lego hair. Uh, Middlesbrough, I was just going to say, so they had a, they've had a bizarre season in the sense that it was like no wins in the first seven with five defeats in the mix there. They then went and got six on the bounce, and then in the last five games it's been more of a, a mixed bag. They've kind of been more of an average upper mid-table championship team which is where they find themselves the 10th, on 27 points, so a little bit behind us now when it looked like they were probably closing in on us w- at one point.
3: Yeah, definitely got a chance at the playoffs. I think I've probably referenced this before, but I, I know a couple of people up at Middlesbrough, and when it was going wrong for them in the early weeks of the season, they were saying, This will come good. You know, once once decent results start to develop, there'll be a flow of them, and, and there was. And I think Carrick's clearly got something about him. Um, I don't think he'd, he'd kind of lose control of things that quickly because they were good last season but they had Akpom last season who scored and scored and scored and left difficult to, to replace this feels and looks like a tough game this this could be tight this could be very competitive this could be one of the better games that we've seen at Ellen Road this
1: season I think mm. yeah definitely but it's another opportunity to, to lay down a marker isn't it yeah. if you go out there and dominate this game get in front and we've not seen many teams that when we are on form as you said about catching us on an off day before Michael like get us on an on day and we're fairly irrepressible, aren't we, as a team? So I just, I just hope that we get more of that. Well, Duff last night
3: was, was almost given the impression that had they got anything out of that game, they'd, they'd have been happy and content. He was referencing you know, the, the sort of superior Premier League, as he put it, ability that, that Leeds have. He was saying he, he reckoned Road was probably as difficult place as anywhere to play this season. Middlesbrough and Carrick, I suspect, will be far more in two minds about what to do at the weekend, whether or not to come and be really aggressive and really positive or whether to hedge the bets slightly. And I think I honestly think either tactic is totally legitimate at, at Ellen Road and, and either tactic could work if you if you get it right. But but have a big following they'll they'll the way they will be sold out, I'm sure they are in the running for the, the top six. So it's not as if they're one of the sides. You know, in the way that maybe Plymouth and Swansea can that, that can come to Leeds be a bit supine and, and get away with it from the point of view of their own fan base I think people will want to see them come and, and have a crack um, which is why I think it'll be, a, it'll be a good contest
1: yeah some strange results in there It's proper, some proper sawtooth form up and down like winning 4 nil at Sunderland was a, a hell of a big day and a big result there wasn't it but then there's like a 3-3 at Plymouth and they've beat um, Preston 4 nil. It's, it's hard to know what to expect from them so I guess we just need to hope that Leeds are on their on their game on the day
2: at home Against anyone with the players we've got, we should win. Yeah, is the is the truth of it this season. We need to just aim to win every home game. I don't think there's any after after a few years of being in the Premier League and looking down the fixtures and going, well, nothing from that one, nothing from that one. Probably try and aim, try and win that one. <laughs> got all got all this to look forward to if Leeds go up again. It's true. Like we've, we've no excuses for not just winning home games against everyone because we've got by far the best attack in the division, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. So let's just go and do that. Yeah, one to watch
1: for the for the Borough game then, Phil. Anything in particular to keep an eye on? You think we've got to do one for Swansea, which was my bad. Who should we have done for Swansea? Can you start messaging should him on of, 20
3: minutes, by the way? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. I wish I'd never committed
1: to that. You, I, mean, I, always, I, don't think, I don't think you ever did, I always
3: forget. Somebody was asking us not to tweet, and, uh, apart from goals yesterday. I thought I might take that seriously and actually actually not bother. But yeah, I will try and do the 20-minute 20, twenty minute text. Yeah, WhatsApp, whatever. Who three had we ring, done Three
2: now? rings uh, when you get in as well.
3: Yeah, th- yeah, that's right. We'd have done Dan James or Peru on Wednesday night when we both of whom had pretty good night you say and, that with hindsight yes um, and celebrated with a bit
1: of loudy didn't they mm. especially Piro I did see a couple of um, Swansea Twitter accounts yes being annoyed at that was there, was there a little bit of a badge kiss in there somebody said
3: there was I couldn't see from where I was sitting whether he kissed the badge he did a uh, phone Eddie and Ketia style well he always yes. does his phone does Joel yeah. that's, his, that's um, his thing isn't it yeah uh, who was first though him or, him or Eddie uh, Joel Right, okay, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure about the badge. Irrespective of the badge, it was a fairly point celebration. Then again, I don't know that I'm big for the players don't celebrate against the former club thing. I don't know if I can be bothered with it
2: really. Yeah, particularly have fun, don't you? And, particularly for someone like Pirro, who's he's only ever passing through somewhere like that, isn't he? It wasn't. It's not like he was come through the youth system and was a, you know a, grew up watching them from the terraces and all this sort of stuff. He just just a footballer turned up, just yeah. as, which. Truthfully, as he is at Leeds, it's just a footballer we're borrowing for a bit, and at some point he'll leave.
1: Yeah, but don't say that because I have fallen in love with Jorginho Ruta.
2: Yeah, he's different. He's going to stay. Yeah, he's going to stay. <laughs> he's, got, he's got more story. Yeah, it later. was
1: it was the every good thought memory of those two has been erased. Those two being Dan James and Joel Peru. He um, said especially Joel Peru, and there are two rat emojis next to it. Can you mm. believe it? Wow. Mm. Hello, Twitter.
3: Anyway, one to watch at the weekend. It's got to be Spence, isn't it? When are we going to see Spence? Against his former club uh, as well? Well, yes. Um, At what point? Against a club who didn't make anything like as much of him as Forrest did the championship. Forrest was where Spence looked like the the best right back in the division. But um, Middlesbrough did do quite nicely out of the the money that Spurs paid for him. At some point he's going to get unleashed, isn't he, if he he stays fit. But when and, and what would be the right time to pull Archie Gray out of that role? Um, and to to let
2: Spence loose is this the one is this the game again football loves narratives like this doesn't it so why not I'm thinking of the potential to see Johnny Howson and Archie Gray on the same pitch as well for for Leeds um,
1: plus Leeds legend Lewis O'Brien could feature as well yes 35 now is
3: Howson right that made you feel old yeah next yeah. thing
1: you'll be telling me James Milner's nearly 40 mm-hmm. yeah. yeah everything about football makes me feel old yeah. Really. yeah well we'll wrap it up there then we'll catch up on Monday you and I and we'll, we'll see how it went so enjoy the game thank and, you and uh, let's enjoy another three points fingers crossed we'll see you soon the square ball podcast